name is Wesley, and I have the privilege of, I'm part of the eldership team here at Willows, and I have the privilege of leading our evening service. Um, you're welcome as you're entering to still grab seats. And it's really a privilege us hosting you. So whether you've been in church last week or 20 years ago, um, there's always been a place for you, and there will always be a place for you in the house of God. Um, it's a real joy for us to kick off this week, and I hope that leading up to tonight and leading up to tomorrow and leading up to Sunday, that this story that has captured audiences and people for the last 2,000 years has echoed a bit in your heart or in your mind. If not, I want to encourage you this weekend, take time and go and read the last week of Jesus' life leading up to his crucifixion. Um, it's, it's inspiring, it's beautiful, it's challenging as we take scripture and read it. So tonight we are part of our unshakable series, and um, we started on Sunday, uh, we continue today, and then we're finishing with, with it on this Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday. And the whole theme of the series is, can we still claim, or can we live in a time and still claim that things are unshakable? The last two years have shown us that a lot of things can come and go. A lot of things aren't as bulletproof in our lives as we thought it is. Our health, our freedom, a trip to the garage. We've seen how a lot of things just sometimes can disappear without notice. But is it true? Do we believe that there is still something that we can claim to be unshakable? Tonight, that's where we're going to jump in. We're going to look at the unshakable event. Now, I don't know about you, but who knows, it's quite clear for us to understand the difference between fact and fiction. All right, fact, it's something that has happened, that no matter what you do, you cannot change it. Fiction, on the other way, on the other side, is something that you can continuously change. We all tell stories like that, eh? We kind of sometimes start with a fact that's happened in our lives. You know, one day I went hunting. Now, yes, you, did, you went hunting, but yeah, years fiction kicks in. I shot a warthog with a .22 on 300 meters through the eye. We take something that's fact and we like, and that's the thing, fiction is beautiful because you can change it as you go. You can change it determining who's the audience in front of you, who you're speaking to. In front of real hunters, you can either go over the top and say, I shot it on 400 meters. Or you say, no, I can't, that's too much fiction for this conversation. Um, I'll, I'll rather get back to the basic, to the truth, actually. Um, I shot it with a 375 on 50 meters in the, in, the, in the side. But someone who knows nothing about hunting, you can have a field day, right? Because fiction, in that essence, they won't know. But that's the difference between fact and fiction. I was 20 years old. Um, I'll leave this up to you to decide whether this is fact or fiction. I was 20 years old, and I'm, I, I enjoy golf. I like playing golf. And I'm on a, we're playing golf on a golf course that's close to the Waterberg. Um, it was called Legend Golf Course. And loving it. It's beautiful. It's in the bushveld. And there's a storm coming in. So I was like, okay. Um, but any golfers in the house would know you want to push it up until the last. You know, that, that rain and that lightning bolt, if it doesn't, it must, you must almost smell the impact of it. So we're pushing it, and I can't remember if there was a siren. Normally there's a siren that goes off. Golf courses have a safety procedure that when the siren goes off, you should leave. Get out, or get, get out of the open air and get inside. 
Now, I can't remember if we heard it or, or not. I can't remember if we heard it and decided, we're just going to finish this hole. Famous last words. So we continue, and actually a good shot. I'm on the green. I'm putting for birdie. And this freak lightning bolt out of nowhere. Well, probably not out of nowhere because there was a storm coming in that, <laughs> that we could see for the last 100 kilometers. And I'm holding my putter. So if you don't know what a putt is, it's the short stick that's got a flat end. That's what you get the ball into the hole with. Um, and this lightning actually hits me. It hits my putter in my backstroke as I'm attempting this birdie. And um, this, it, I saw like this blue light. And I was like, 20 seconds later, I'm like, what's going on here? I was like, almost like blacked out a bit. My hat's on the floor. My putter's over there. Um, I was like, what in the world? And then I realized I've just actually been hit by lightning. That's scary. And then you take like a while to, to kind of process that because... It's like, am I dead? And it's like, <laughs> then for a moment, I couldn't see my other playing partners. I'm like, I'm in heaven and there's a golf course in heaven. This is awesome. Um, <laughs> now, whether that's fact or fiction, um, you can ask me later. But that really did happen. And no matter what changes in my life, no matter where I go to from here, I can say that I have been struck by lightning and I'm alive to tell the story. Not in a boastful way, but in a very grateful way that um, somehow the, the rubber of the putter just absorbed that nothing really serious happened. But that's the thing, guys, with, with facts. No matter how it changes, no matter, no matter where I go, no matter who I tell it to, we cannot undo things that have happened in the past. A fact remains a fact. And this brings me to what we are preaching on tonight. You see, Christianity, unlike any other religion in the world, is not built, or, or the foundation of it is not built on someone's teachings, or built on philosophy, or built on certain ideas or a way of life. Christianity, the foundation of Christianity is that somewhere 2,000 years ago, something happened to a real man. Without that, if that didn't happen, we have no faith. All other religions, if we follow the teachings, there are certain promises that can happen. Christianity says, no, teachings don't save you. What someone did 2,000 years ago, that saves you. Therefore, the fact that the crucifixion happened, that the cross happened, should matter to us. Because without that, we have no faith. If it was just, it's just a nice Hollywood dream, Disneyland story, then we're in trouble. See, Christianity is based on certain events that needed to happen for us to be here. Now, I'm thankful there's been a lot of studies, and we're going to look in Scripture tonight as well, that kind of shows and kind of proves to us that we can actually trust that this really happened. You can read um, alternative writings that aren't in the Bible that reference that there was a crucifixion of a man that claimed to be Messiah. You can go and do those studies by yourself. But our salvation, our foundation of our, what we believe is based on a fact not on fiction that could be changed down the line. And that leads me to the title of tonight that says, okay, if that's true, we believe in an unshakable God that the world around us can shake. That means that somewhere there was an unshakable event that happened. And that unshakable event 
that we're going to look into Matthew 27 tonight is called the crucifixion of Jesus. No matter how you feel, no matter what you see, no matter how you slept last night, no matter what's happened in the world, no matter what's happening in Ukraine, no matter what's happening with COVID, it doesn't change the fact that 2,000 years ago, there was a real man who got on a real cross and died a real death. And that's what we're going to look in tonight. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can be here. We thank you that this week, it's, it's a remembrance for us to know exactly who you are and what you've done. And I pray that for us here tonight, that we will get a glimpse of who you are, Jesus, through tonight's message. I pray that your word will come and cut. It will come and do what it's always set out to do in our lives. We do this to honor you. We do this to praise you. We do this to, to worship you, Jesus. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you're new here, um, we enjoy reading scripture together. So everything you see in bold, I'm going to ask you to read with me. All right, so you can do it in two ways. You can do it like someone who there's not a long weekend coming, and you can go, blah, 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 blah. all right? Or you can read it because it's great to read, and it's great to have eyes to see, and it's nice to read the Bible. So I'd like to see which side you are going to take. So please open up in Matthew 27. It's on the screen. You can look at it in your Bibles as well. Matthew 27, verse 45 to 54. All right, so if you're ready, let's read this together. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemach sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook the rocks were split. The tombs were open, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after the, his resurrection, they went into the holy city and to, appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. What I love about Matthew's account of the crucifixion is we, we kind of get contrast going on here. In one sense, obviously, we know now where this leads, where the story leads 2,000 years later. But in the one sense, I want you guys to realize, put yourself in the place of the disciples. This man who they followed for the last three years, this man who they've seen has done many miracles, has preached incredible sermons, is changing the world. This man who they've come to believe is the Messiah, is the Son of God, is dead. And not only that, he was tortured, brutally tortured, leading up to this. What I love what Matthew captures here in this, this account of Jesus' crucifixion, at 12 o'clock noon, the sixth hour, it was dark. Darkness in the middle of the day. So think about it, fear, anxiety, darkness. Now you've got an earthquake. 
Rocks are splitting open. Tombs are being opened. People are being raised from the dead. I don't know about you, but I don't think Hollywood can kind of give us a more scary image of what something can be. Darkness. And then we see Jesus' agony. We see words like cried out. We see yielded. We see Jesus being forsaken. Do you see the emotional depth and the agony that Jesus was going through? Friends, oftentimes our Good Fridays are filled with bunnies and buns and friends and food. The original Good Friday was dark and kind of depressing. I want us to capture this. I want, us to, I want you to almost like put yourself in those shoes. Someone that you've dedicated your life to in following and doing what they say has died. I don't know, but I guess a lot of them, I mean, a lot of them don't even pitch up at the cross. They're saying, well, if they got Jesus, I'm next. I better run. There's three things I want us to look in to the, to tonight's passage. Number one is the reality of sin. Number two, the response of Jesus. And number three, the result of the cross. Verse 45, the reality of sin says the following. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. Imagine a blackout in the middle of the day. But I realized that as darkness was then, darkness still is. It just looks a bit different today. There is still darkness. It might not be physical darkness. It might not be the sun that stops shining for periods. But as there was darkness on that day, friends, there is still darkness on this day. We can see it around us. You can see the evil and the consequences of what sin has done to the world around us. Open up social media. Open up News 24 and you will see the corruption, the death, the devastation, destruction. Some of you are family members in Kwasuna Natal, and it's, it's crazy what's happening there. It's clear to see that as darkness was, it still is today. But dare I say that we don't have to look that far even. We can just look into ourselves. That there's still darkness in ourselves. For the disciples, this was a scary time. I can, I can almost, I can't even imagine what this must feel like. They were hopeless and in absolute despair. I mean, they were still thinking this Jesus is going to overthrow the government and he's going to set up his reign in his kingdom. Guys, we're on the right team, we voted for the right person. Now he's dead. Who's ever been so wrong or so disappointed in their lives about something? Hopeless and in despair. Present day darkness, the sin that still presides around us. Now what is sin? Sin is anything that goes against the will and the way of the Lord. Just make it easy understandable. It's anything that goes against the will and the way of the Lord. See, sin 
when we are confronted with it, whether it's on a scale around us, the world, or within us. That one thing that you've said, I won't do this again. Tonight was the last time. See, sin leaves us at the same age as where the disciples were 2,000 years ago, hiding somewhere in Jerusalem, hopeless and in despair. There is no way that we can escape darkness or sin or the evil in this world. Whether internally or externally, the effects of sin are all around us. And sin brings death and destruction. Now that, yet again, we can clearly see around us. You can clearly see at what darkness has done or sin has done to certain relationships in your life. Romans 6 verse 23 actually puts this very clearly for us. That the wages of sin is death. What does that mean, Wes? It means the result of sin is death. And maybe you've seen this in your life. Maybe you've seen death in relationships. Someone that was supposed to be a loved one is not a loved one anymore because of certain sin, alcohol abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, broken families, sickness and suffering. See, sin promises hope, but underdelivers it comes up empty. We run to things that think it will help us. That, that website on my phone. No, I just need that. I need that to fill me. And then you engage with it. You engage in pornography. And then after that, you just dropped. Because it promised, put, put you on a high just to pull you down again. The result, the wages of sin is death. And we say we will be better. We will do better. But we can't. We say we try our best. But the problem is sin has already mastered you. Ultimately, you just come back and say, here I am again. For the wages of sin is death. Ultimately, sin, yes, Pilate killed Jesus and the Jews had him crucified. But ultimately, it was the sins of the world that killed Jesus. And the problem is we sometimes deal with sin like like mowing lawn when there's weeds. Don't do that, by the way. If you're, if you're like green in gardening, if there's like weeds growing in your grass, don't think I'm just going to cut it short. What you actually do is you just take the weeds and take it all over the lawn. But that's what we try and do with, with our good deeds. That's what we, okay, I'm just going to cut off the sin in my life and here we go. Two weeks later, there the weed is again. Okay, but again, I'm just going mean, to use a different... I'm going to use a different lawnmower this time. Where's that wheat eater? Liffy, where's our wheat eater? So we go and we wheat eat. That sounded funny. <laughs> but if we not, do not deal with the origin of sin, we always come back for more. It comes back stronger. First, this was just when you're alone at night. 
with your phone, and all of a sudden it happens twice in the week in the daytime. First it was, no, just at a bachelor's party. And now it's every weekend. For the wages of sin is death. This leaves us in a very awkward and difficult situation. Because if I had to end the sermon here, it would feel good on Good Friday. I think sometimes we, we, we rush so to the next part of this that we miss actually that sin isn't something to be played with. Sin isn't something to entertain. Sin isn't something that you just, all right, it's part of my life and I'll live with it. No, for the wages of sin is death. And dare I even say tonight, I'm just going to take a step and maybe get a bit more closer to you and your life. Maybe the sin that you're struggling with right now, the result of that will be death. I think sometimes we, we don't end sermons, we don't end stuff on this point for us to really go and wrestle with the reality because ultimately sin put someone on a cross. Sin killed someone that was on a cross. That is the essence and the, I want to say the importance of us to really capture this. Jesus did, the disciples were scared, hopeless, and doomed. For us, caught in our sins, we should be scared, we should be hopeless, and we should be doomed. Because there's only, all sin leads down the same road to the same destination. Death. So what now? As darkness was, darkness is. So what now? Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land. A lot of us still find ourselves living in darkness. We feel stuck. And here's the thing. That a life of sin will cause you to ask the question, what now? What now? What about my future? What about my family? I have to change. I can't live with this. Romans 6, verse 23 continues. It says, The wages of sin is death, but there is a free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. And this leads me to the response of Jesus. A lot of times God is accused for not getting involved with all the suffering and all the evil of the world. A lot of time it is thrown at Christians, but what about if God is good? What about everything that's happening? Well, friends, tonight I want to see, I want to show you what was the response of Jesus at this hopeless place that we find ourselves being in darkness. Verse 50 says, And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded 
up his spirit. Verse 46, Jesus cries out and he says, Eli, Eli, Leba, Sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What's interesting, historians and um, critics, skeptics against the Bible, actually, this puzzles them, this scripture of Jesus actually crying out. Because no other religious leader in his last moment showed weakness. If you can read the life of Buddha, if you can read the life of Muhammad, it's all this you know, this lying, dying peacefully and gives this one little pearl of advice. If you would make up a religion, if you would make up something to follow, you would not make the author look absolutely scared, almost pathetic and fearing for his life. Because this is not heroic. Even think Tony Stark in the Avengers, right before he dies, he gives an epic one-liner. Because that's how you write a fake story. You have your hero say something memorable and impactful. Right? Jesus doesn't. And this is why even some of the skeptics, people that say, I don't know this Christianity thing, but wait, why would that be there? Well, it's only there because it happened. Jesus is speaking Aramaic to, a Greek, to Greek people. So it was so memorable. This cry of Jesus was so memorable that they decided we're not even going to translate it into Greek. Why would they do that? Because it happened. Because he said it. How did Jesus respond? He yielded up his spirit. And what did that look like? Please have a look at the video. Well, I Hello. How the come?
Jesus responds by being crucified. The question is why? <laughs> why? Why did he let this happen to him? Why did Jesus allow himself to be forsaken? Why did he put himself in a place where he will be forsaken by God? What could Jesus of, of God of earned, of, or, or what could he have benefited from coming to earth that he didn't already have? See, friends, sin required a death. The sins of this world required a death, a punishment. And that was going to be our future. So why did Jesus respond this way? Why did he heal the spirit? What did he get by coming to earth that he didn't have before? You. Us. The nations. Why did Jesus do this? Because he had you in mind. What this video does, I don't think it pales in comparison, I think, to the reality of what really happened that day. But it shows us that what we believe, friends, isn't just this wishy-washy faith. Isn't something that was meant to be kept on the shelf or put in a, or put in a, a, a bed gussy 
and collect dust next to you in your room? Isn't something that was supposed to just fill your life for a moment and then you just went on with your own desires? Why did Jesus do this? He did it for you and for me and for us and for the nations of this world. Our choice is not to accept. Sin will result in death. You and I, in whatever time we have, whether it's 18 months, 20 years, 60 years or 100 years, you and I have a decision. Will we accept this punishment for death, for sin, or will we just face it ourselves one day? That's the choice we have. This is my final point, and I'm going to finish. That if you do accept the cross, this unshakable event, this event that caused the, the, the sky to black out, an earthquake to happen, rocks to split open, graves to open up, and have redemption for the next 2,000 years and going forward, if you accept this message, what is the result of the cross? What is the result of this? Colossians 2 verse 13 says it quite well. Colossians 2 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demand. This is set aside, nailing it to a cross. Jesus didn't write poetry to rid us of our sins. He nailed himself to a cross. So what is the result? If you and I believe in this message, how does it impact you? How is it supposed to change us? Well, here it is. That number one, it moves us from death to life. You that were dead is now alive with him. You have been forgiven all your trespasses, past, present, future. And your debt that you had with God has been canceled paid off, null and void. This is why we call it Good Friday. Because of the result of the cross. It was solidified in blood. It's not a teaching. It's not something you have to do, not something you have to follow. It is an event that has already happened. Every other religion is based on what you must do for your God, but Christianity is based on what Jesus has already done for you. He's brought us, the opportunity for us is to bring us from death to life, from rejection to acceptance, from slavery to freedom, from fear to victory, from evil to goodness, from sickness to healing, from loneliness to being included. Christians, if you are facing something, what answer do we still find at the cross? Or is it only something that saved me 2,000 years ago and maybe when I got saved on a youth camp when I was 14? If you are facing rejection, what does the cross tell you? You have been accepted. 
If you are facing loneliness and oppression, what does the cross say to you? I was mindful of you. I gave myself for you. That's how important you are to me. We tend to run to all these things except running to the cross and saying, Jesus, thank you for what you've done. And that I can still apply to my life today. Some of the best advice one of my good friends told me many years ago was going through something. He said, Wes, what does the cross say to you in this moment? I had to go home that night and I had to go and think what the cross meant. What does it do? What is the result? And do I believe it? And then I took that and applied it where I was and God set me free again. C.S. Lewis, famous Christian writer, says the following. He says, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, thy will be done. Be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could not be no hell. No soul that seriously and consistently desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, it is opened. What I love about how this passage ends in Matthew, these Roman soldiers that were Maybe an hour before what we've just seen, they were part of the mob, probably. I can see them throwing insults, giving jabs, laughing at Jesus, all these things. They were part of this team, saying, oh, this fool, who is he? Picking up a stone and flogging it to him. This passage in verse 54 ends by the same soldiers that were watching, that saw everything, that saw Jesus being walking to Golgotha, seeing it crucified, seeing the earthquake, were filled with and confess that truly this man is the son of God nothing in your life can bring such transformation like the reality of what Jesus has done on the cross for you and I they were filled with awe I ask the church today friends are we still filled with awe at what Jesus has done for us Marissa, will you please join me on stage? Don't know where you're sitting. Friends, this event, this crucifixion, the unshakable event, is enough proof to know that there is a God who loves you, who will do anything in his power to get close to you. This event proves that God deals fairly with the darkness of this world, that he took up the punishment. And this event proves that we can have access to freedom and a new identity if we choose to place our faith in who Jesus is and continue to live a life that honors and lives in awe of who he is. That's what we should see when we see the cross. It's not jewelry. It's not something that rappers wear that makes them look cool. It is something when we see the cross, we see that God loves me. He took on evil. He destroyed darkness. And he's given me a new life, a new identity. That's what the cross means. Somewhere in your life, you're going to have to respond to that cross. You are either going to embrace it you're either going to reject it. But boy, respond, you are going to have to respond. Because that is too of an amazing moment just to shake it off and be indifferent about it. What is your response tonight? We've looked at the reality of sin. 
The reality of sin says that we should be without hope and in darkness. We've seen how Jesus responds to that and says, not on my watch. I love you too much, even if it cost me my life. And we've looked at the result that we can move from death to life, being completely forgiven and being everything that you've ever done and ever will do will be canceled. That is against God. What is your response? How will you respond? Maybe tonight you're sitting here and you've never responded. You've never responded. You've never heard how dark your real situation is. You've never heard or understood what the heroics that Jesus actually did to prevent me from going down the path of death. And you've never understood what this means for you. Maybe you're sitting here tonight and you've never put your faith in Jesus. Can I ask you, just, everyone just closes their eyes for just a moment. Maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus. You've never been filled with awe. If that's you tonight, I want to give you opportunity tonight to settle it. On the 14th of April, 2022, you decided to respond to the cross. And you decided, I'm going to embrace and accept this. If that's you, just raise your hand. Nothing to be ashamed of. Awesome. That's great. Come on. That's awesome. Come on, guys. I see the hands there at the back. That's great. Just keep it up a bit longer. I just want to see exactly who you are. That's great. Okay, now everyone's eyes are closed. If you raise your hand, could you look at me in the eye? This is the most exciting and greatest decision you will ever make in your life. The Bible teaches us that in heaven, there's rejoicing. There's a party going on because of what you're doing right now. God is saying, my son, my daughter is coming home. This is your greatest decision. This decision comes before who you're going to marry, where you're going to live, what job you're going to do. This is most important decision that you and I don't have we don't have any there shouldn't be any bone in your body that says I'm, I'm ashamed about this no this is the best decision you've made right so I'm gonna ask you to be bold I'm gonna ask you to solidify this and the reason we do this is because I'm gonna explain that you are gonna be born again your life is going to change. And we want to make sure that there's people that are going to be in your life and champion you and encourage you and help you walk this road in understanding who you are now. So I would please like, if you've raised your hand, guys, and there's nothing to be ashamed of. In fact, the moment someone stands up, we're going to start rejoicing. We're going to scream hallelujah. We're going to clap hands. So if it's you, please come to the front. If you've raised your hand, please come to the front. Friends, may the next three or four songs not just be another three or four songs that you sing because you're a Christian, whether you're in this church or not in this church, whether you're visiting here or you've been here and you're part of the furniture. May this, this response not just be you going through the motion. I'm going to pray for us. Father God, we thank you. Thank you that we can respond and that we have responded to your good news. That is the gospel, that God himself became man in Jesus Christ. That you lived the life we should have lived and you died the death we should have died. 
we may receive forgiveness and restoration for our sins. And thank you, Jesus, that if we believe in you, we will have an inherent, inherent eternal life. Father, and tonight I ask that we respond with all in our hearts towards who you are. May we praise, may we worship, may we seek you. May we apply this message of this cross, this unshakable event in our lives on a daily basis. And I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Thank you very much.